Welcome back to the next episode of the In Development Podcast. My name is Ryan, and this is the podcast for all of you city builders, city shapers, and city dwellers out there that care about driving change towards people-centered communities. On In Development, we talk about how Canadian cities develop in and up. We're presented by IDEA, the Infill Development and Edmonton Association, which is a nonprofit education and advocacy group bringing together like-minded people working to shape our city. So on today's episode, it is the first of its kind. We're bringing back one of our past guests. If you haven't listened to that episode, I suggest you do so. It was episode eight. And our guest today is Chelsea Jerzak. For those of you who haven't listened, let me give you a riff on her bio. Uh, she is the founder and principal of Situate, an urban planning consulting firm in Edmonton, offering rezoning, permitting, subdivision, and strategic advisory services for infill projects across the city. She holds a bachelor's degree in regional and urban development and a master's in human geography. She is a registered professional planner and has a certificate in project management and is currently the president of IDEA, the Infill Development and Edmonton Association, which really means I just get to bugger on almost a daily basis. <laughs> so today, uh, usually we do a bit more of an interview style, get to know what people are feeling, what's happening in their day-to-day, but today we kind of go on a riff about what's been happening in Edmonton and the urban planning world over the past 10 months. Yeah, I know what the listeners are thinking. Wow, we're this is episode 18 and we've already run out of ideas. We're recycling, uh, recycling guests and trying out a new format already, but that's not what it's about. Council is on break right now, so um, there's a little bit to talk about and a good time to debrief on their, um, I guess it's eight, nine months into their job now, how they've been doing, what kind of trends we've seen. So um, Chelsea's an expert on that. We'll explain why. But yeah, definitely looking forward to this new obscure and not to be used all the time format, right? Yeah, well, I think what was cool about it is you and Chelsea have gone to council quite a few times uh, since we've had this new round of counselors in. Uh, so getting your perspectives on what it's been like, what are your clients looking for, what are some of the questions you've been asking, uh, and we get a deep dive into one of the new offerings, one of the news- newsletters happening in Edmonton. So listen further to figure out what's happening. Chelsea, welcome back to the podcast. It is so exciting to have you and you are our first guest to come back for a second time. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. So I asked you to come back because a lot has happened in the past nine, 10 months with our new council, uh, with your company, a bunch of things have happened. Uh, And now we're on summer break as uh, industry for building and for council to hopefully not read a thousand reports while <laughs> while they were resting and recuperating. Totally. A lot has happened. I mean, we have a new council that's um, fully up and running now. We've had a lot of public hearings, a lot of infill files that they've been voting on. So I think there's some interesting trends to talk about. One of the other things that Ryan and I really wanted to talk to you about was things that have been happening at Situate. So Tell me, I may be wrong, you have a new staff as well? We do, yes. So we expanded the team. Uh, There were two of us, now there are three. So we have two uh, permanent full-time planners slash project managers, which plus myself, uh, which is really, really exciting for us as a small business here in Edmonton. And of course, really, really exciting for us as supporters of awesome infill projects. So excited to be moving forward as a business. 
And honestly, I didn't need to be corrected because I looked, I just got back from Mexico City hanging out with you and your team down there. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. So we did, I guess what I would call a staff retreat or a workcation in Mexico City last week. So that's the first week in July. I, uh, myself and the team and Mariah came down to Mexico City to spend a week exploring the city, uh, doing some strategic planning and just kind of having a lot of fun. I'll let you talk about the Lucha Libre, Mariah, later on. Um, <laughs> but we, we were able to explore what's a really, really interesting place for a lot of reasons that you might not expect. One, it's a gigantic city. Two, it has a lot of medium scale development in it. So you might, you know, you wouldn't necessarily expect that from a huge place. But there's a lot of really cool design and architecture around four and six story buildings. So it's, it's a really fun place to explore. Yeah, poor Ryan had to watch on Instagram as I got to see all this amazing architecture and farm space. It was pretty amazing. Um, I think one of my favorite days was the first day that we kicked off the trip. We went to uh, the Chinampas, which is, um, and Chelsea, you'll be able to talk about this much better than I will, but there are little urban farms right outside the city that you get to by boat, uh, where families for generations and generations have been producing food and uh, battling up against the water shortage and water pollution, which we got to see this family really take some innovative steps to clean their water and rebuild their land. That's right. So the Chinampas are a really unique form of urban agriculture that's really only found here. So Mexico City is located in the Valley of Mexico, and there have been people uh, settled here for, for thousands of years for, for a really, really long time. Originally, the city was mostly a lake. The indigenous people prior to the Spanish contact, uh, lived on islands in the lake and would reach the shores by canoe or by sort of causeways. And um, they did a lot of farming on these reclaimed plots of land that they would uh, basically pile up soil dredged from the bottom of a lake and then create floating islands for agriculture. And these, these still exist in one part of the city, in the southern part of the city. So we uh, were able to go and visit one that is still being cultivated in the traditional way. So a lot of the chinampas these days in modern times are not under traditional cultivation the way that they were, you know, hundreds of years ago. Uh, but we did visit one that's being reclaimed and is being cultivated in the traditional way. So it was really, really neat to see that in action. Ryan, have you ever had a chance to go on a boat tour to visit a farm before anywhere else in this, the world? No, no, I haven't. So I'm really excited about uh, about this. I want to hear about your other uh, exciting places you visited while you were there. You said Chelsea was referring to that uh, it's it's cool in a lot of ways you don't expect. I want to dig into that. Yeah, I didn't realize that Mexico City was the largest city in North America population-wise. They have 22, I think, million people in Mexico City area. So similar to where we are located right now, Edmonton with St. Albert, Jordan Park, all of that. But then there's 10 million, 9 million people in Mexico City, like how it would be 1 million in Edmonton. That's right. So within the city itself, there's about 9 million people, just over 9 million people. 
And then the, the city of Mexico is surrounded by the state of Mexico. It's sort of just a giant conurbation. And there's about 22 million people in the greater urban area. So quite large. It's the second largest in the Western Hemisphere, I think after Sao Paulo, and the fifth or sixth largest city in, in the world. And uh, you both know that I am a huge transit nerd. Mexico City has the biggest uh, LRT network in the whole world, and it's the busiest as well, which is just bonkers to me. Like, I I love going on different trains. It was cool to see the expansion of uh, that city that they prioritized LRT for people. When when was the expansion? Like, has it been kind of periodically over time, or is it a recent thing they're undertaking, or... And is it just trains or do they have uh, buses and like micro transit or what, what's, what's so good about the transit network? So the, the LRT, the underground system, I believe was first created in the 1960s. So it does serve sort of the central area of the city. I'm not sure about expansion. I know they have expanded in more recent years with bus rapid transit. There's a lot of micro mini buses that sort of ferry people around all over the city as well as a mechanism to, to help fight urban pollution. Actually, there's um, restrictions on vehicle use. So one day a week, depending on, I think it's one of the letters in your license plate, sort of the whatever your first letter is, you will be restricted from driving into the city for one day a week. So whatever that day is, whatever your license plate number is, you'll be working from home on that day. When the pollution gets too high, they'll restrict vehicle usage for two days. So you'll be you'll be staying home basically for two days that week. Um, so that's to discourage people from driving and encourage them from using other, other modes of transportation. Uh, another interesting thing is that the city has a bike share network. It's called the EcoBC. And apparently that has really helped as well to reduce vehicle trips and vehicle usage, especially short trips, you know, from here to there. I'm going from the office to lunch or whatever. So people now are more and more using bikes. And that has uh, created a notable decline in the urban pollution, which peaked in the 90s and has been um, decreasing since then. And a lot of that is, is about related to transportation and the transportation network here. Yeah. How's the infrastructure for biking and buses you mentioned brt are they just on the road or do they have their own lines and then for bikes um same thing roads uh separated paths what do they got a little a little bit of both uh so the bus rapid transit there are separated lanes uh within roadways so they have a they have their own right of way and then the bikes i would say there's not a lot of separated lanes although there are some definitely they're using the paint on the ground uh, I will say drivers here aren't super pedestrian friendly. So you, you really, it's advisable to watch out and wear a helmet. Uh, generally speaking, even as a pedestrian, sometimes I think I need to be wearing a helmet. Uh, so that's, you know, there's a room for improvement just in terms of general priorities in terms of prioritizing pedestrians. But, you know, that's, I think that probably goes back to maybe some driver training that that uh, doesn't exist but yeah it's an interesting it's an interesting place there's a lot going on the streets are busy and uh, make sure you look both ways before you cross yeah it's a good life lesson for here too i'm curious uh mariah i did follow all of your stories on instagram i i don't think i liked a single one of them because i was jealous but did you uh what did you think about things that you learned there that you could bring back here I think what was really interesting was their culture around design uh, and around people spaces. So there was a lot 
of well-designed park spaces within uh, the city where it was clear that the community had some really heavy involvement in, in creating that space. So there was a lot of uh, water features and, and places to sit. Uh, they were really well taken care of. A ton, a ton of public art. Like it just like blew my mind. It felt like you were in a museum while you were in the city. And so that was really great to see spaces that people could be in and about and still feel comfortable. And then it was really interesting because uh, of the demand for for space. It was clear that they had responded with density. And so there was very rarely that I would see a building under two stories or two or under. The majority of the neighborhoods that I was in, at least, was four stories and allowed for places, like allowed for businesses and residential kind of mixed throughout the street, which was really exciting. Yeah, I think that was one of the most interesting things. And then uh, going back to transportation, it was there were so many different ways to get in and out of neighborhoods. Uh, It was a city I was telling Chelsea while I was there that I, I found when I go to other cities, it's easy for me to map out in my head where I am how to get in and out because there's like very few in in and outs into neighborhoods uh, or mass in and outs into neighborhoods where this, there was so many different connection points. I found that really interesting. I think it would take a really long time to get to know the city a multiple trips back. (laughs) Did you also feel like you had to wear a helmet while walking down the street? Yes. I think with the amount of of different people using the city uh, at different times of the day and for different reasons, so much was happening all the time. Uh, And the culture that you would feel in like New York or London, where it was like hustle, hustle, hustle all the time, wasn't the same culture that they had in Mexico City. I don't know if it was because of the heat or just because of their background, but it was kind of like a community focus instead of just like hustle and get things done and get things going. Uh, And actually the Sunday that we were there, I think, believe in the Centro neighborhood, they had shut down a large part of the streetway for people to bike and skateboard and rollerblade on. Uh, So it was clear that the city was like taking steps to make it more enjoyable, more fun, bring communities together. Um, So I know I've I've heard about that happening in other cities around the world. And it just gives me hope that we'll have that in many areas in Edmonton. I imagine it's a 24 hour city. Yeah, it's an interesting, it's an interesting question. Like it it is and it isn't. Uh, it, It actually gets pretty quiet, I would say, during during the week. And it has, as Mariah mentioned, a really chill vibe. So it's a city that you can be in, you know, sitting at a restaurant on the sidewalk and have no no idea that you're in a conurbation of 22 million people. It seems, it doesn't feel overwhelming the way that some really large cities do. It has a really kind of laid back vibe, which I think contributes to why it feels so, so livable. One thing I would mention about Mexico City that Mariah touched on was... Um, two things I think that would be interesting for people um, or Edmontonians who are urbanists is, again, the sort of all the medium scale development, like so much medium scale. And then the landscaping and the parks that sort of trickles over onto the sidewalk. So there's a lot of um, patios and a lot of really cool examples of eating on the streets and the sidewalks. And what I mean by that is that they really have the twinkle lights mastered. So there's like, you go down, you're walking down the street, and then you see like all these places. You're like, I know I need to be there. I want to be there. I want to be there. Like a lot of really cool 
but really kind of tactical urbanist restaurant patio setup. And we've seen an explosion of that in Edmonton. And there's a really great precedent for that here as well. I think maybe they're a little bit ahead with the mastery of the twinkle lights. So lots of lessons, lots of lessons to be learned in terms of just that great sort of street interface between the building and the street. Yeah, that's super interesting. I I agree. I think Edmonton's kind of I mean, we're allowing more patios and there's lots of patios. I think uh, I went to Miami once and they have kind of their own version of uh, eating on the street where the tables, like they don't extend the patio into the street. Pedestrians are walking through like dining areas basically on some streets, which I found very off-putting when I was in those dining areas, but I got, I got used to it. So I think there's lots of ways that we can do it. I'm, I'm excited about, you know, having a city of 10 million people that we're able to do that with. Um, are we going to get there? Who knows? Let's move on. Uh, unless you want a final thoughts, you didn't even mention anything about Lucha Libre, Mariah. Oh, the Lucha Libre culture there is amazing. So <laughs> I joined Chelsea, uh, and Allison to a Lucha Libre fight, which is, it's just like a whole culture in itself. So uh, we got to meet a uh, Lucha Libre fighter. He was amazing, star junior. His dad was a fighter too. So it's like the culture of like, uh, it's in the family. You got to honor your family name. And there's good guys and bad guys. And they fight on teams. And they are incredibly fit, like fitter than I will ever be. even if I dedicated my life to fitness. Uh, And I like that it was like a mix of like showmanship and uh, athleticism. And it just like, we, I think we went on a Tuesday or Wednesday night and there was like thousands of people there, like just excited to see the show go down and everyone got into it and we got to meet this fun American girl who her family was super into it. Uh, yeah, it was just, it was cool to see bring it, bringing everyone together. It was a real community feeling. So, I mean, there are local here. I mean, not Lucha Libre, but uh, at the Norwood Legion, shout out to Norwood. They do have like a monthly live pro wrestling event, which is awesome. Are, am I going to see you there? Do they do costumes? Oh, I once watched this guy who I think, he, I think his backstory is he's a lawyer by day. And he came and he was dressed, he had like a suit with cut off sleeves and he walked in with a briefcase and he was very much like a, like a lawyer in the ring. And then his finishing move was called the hand of justice. And yes, they do do costumes. They do the stories. It's probably not, there was, there was way fewer people there than I imagined you saw in your, your, uh, your Mexico city examples, but yeah, definitely go check it out. Shout out to Norwood Legion. Maybe we'll do like a big idea event there and like teams will yes. like bet on different people. And oh my goodness. <laughs> do something fun. That would be amazing and a great opportunity to see Mariah wear her lucha mask. So that's, we'll just leave it there. Well, you bought a lucha mask, did you, Mariah? A hundred percent. Yeah, before we move on from Mexico, though, I did want to say the other thing that I really loved about the city was how reused it was, how like buildings were loved uh, and they served a purpose and they there was a nod to like the heritage of the building but then they also recreated the space to what the needs of today now and what and it'll be recreated again so it was cool to see buildings from the early 1900s from the 40s the 60s uh, up until like a couple of years ago and how they interacted with each other uh, some that were like 10 stories next to four stories because 
there was large sidewalks and beautiful trees. It all felt like it worked together and a lot of patios. It was a great city. I would go back in a heartbeat for sure. Yeah, Chelsea, when are you opening up uh, that trip in the future to others? Yeah, well, I've been thinking about it. So stay tuned for, for 2023. That, in, that invitation will be in your inbox, Ryan. Oh, I can't wait. Excellent. Yeah. Do I need a Lucha mask before I go down? Or I, I'm sure I can pick one up there. Oh, we'll, we'll pick it up. Yeah, we got Excellent. you covered. Let's, uh, I want to talk about you now, Chelsea. Enough about Mexico. But uh, you've been doing something very interesting over the last, gosh, I don't even know how many issues you have, but you've, you have a new newsletter called Zone In. I do. I, I can gush about it, but I want to hear you talk about it. Well, so yeah, Situate created a new newsletter. We have nine issues out and about in the universe now and published as archives on our website as well. And that initiative is a direct result of the conversation that I had with the two of you um, on this podcast back in the winter. So at the end of every podcast, there was a call to action. So you said, okay, Chelsea, you're going to have to give a call to action. So I thought about it and I thought about it. And I was thinking, well, what, what, what should my call to action be? Like, what really matters? And I think that what really matters is that we know as urbanists, as people that care about what's going down in the city of Edmonton, that we know what council is talking about at public hearings in particular and the land use decisions that they're making. So I was thinking, that's my call to action. Like, follow along, find out what's going on and, and chime in, like, speak up. It's really important. Afterwards, you know, after I made that call to action, I was thinking to myself, that's so hard. Like, everyone is so busy. Who's going to go on and look at agendas and read through them? Like, that's, that's impossible. Nobody has time to do that. So then it dawned on me, I think I could make this easier. I think I could make it easier for, for me. I think I can make it easier for my team. And if we do that, let's make it easier for everyone. Like let's let's make this easier for people to follow along and to, to chime in and speak up when they feel compelled to do so. So we launched Zone In as a direct result of that call to action, which I probably never would have thought about if you two hadn't asked me to. So here we are. I have I have you to I have you to thank for that. So um, thanks for tuning in. I think it's I think it's useful. You know, I think it's useful to have a quick read of what's happening, what's happening at public hearing, you know, tomorrow and what happened last time just as an easy way because otherwise you're wading through a lot of information and it's not practical for most people to do that most of the time. It's so good. And I was not fishing for compliments, but I'll definitely take it. Thank you. The, um, the thing I like the most about it is uh, the plain language. You use you know, you decipher all of that information that's in these very technically jargony planning reports and put them into small bite-sized takes. And then my favorite part is that you actually put your own opinions in there as well, which I find fascinating. Um, not like, you know, I would have gone this way or I would have done things this way. But what I like specifically is, um, you know, when there's a direct control, you're questioning we don't really know why a standard zone wasn't used or if, if that was part of it. And you're adding these little takes here and there. So it gives the reader a little bit more to go off of than just reporting the news. Um, do you plan on expanding that in the future and um, expanding kind of what you're, uh, what you're commenting on, I guess? We, we, you know, it's a really good question and thanks for asking it. It's, it's a balance and I'd love to know what you, what you think about it. And it's great to hear your opinion actually on that. Our intention is to sort of report the news, as you say, 
quickly and concisely and efficiently so that you can read what's going on in a couple of sentences and, and get it. Sometimes we're just pointing out where, okay, there's a direct control zone used here and it's not articulated why. It's not explained in the council report. Um, direct control zones theoretically should be used in very specific instances when a conventional zone doesn't work. And we find that oftentimes in the council reports, it's not explained you know, why? Why in this instance was a direct control zone chosen over a conventional zone? What's the what's the unique circumstance? So, um, so yeah, so there's questions that we have that we can't, ex- we, can, we can't explain. And so we're just highlighting that um, in terms of, you know, what advice we would give or whether we would have done it that way. We try to stay away from that just because, you know, there's lots of different reasons why people rezone and the decisions are very unique to that project and to that project team. So we probably won't talk a whole lot of, a whole lot about that, but we do like to highlight, you know, this is a question council report didn't answer it. Maybe, maybe they should, maybe they will in future. Yeah. I also like that you uh, put the votes in there. If they're really contentious, you know, this was supported unanimously, no debate for the ones that had debate, you kind of list the, uh, the topics. So it really helps, you know, if, if somebody is reading into it um, or reading your newsletter and they have a similar project coming up, they can kind of see how council voted or what the debates were and kind of prepare. So I find it, uh, I think it's a very, very good tool. Mariah, are you a subscriber? Is Idea a subscriber? Oh, a hundred percent. I watch council meetings like some people watch the playoffs. (laughs) So I really enjoy watching what they question, what they're thinking about. They obviously get like tons of emails from their community members, uh, from their constituents about what they care about. And so we're not privy to those as uh, viewers into public hearing. And so the watching them kind of navigate how to approve a development um, and how to move things forward is really interesting. But, you know, sometimes those meetings go until 9, 10, 11, 12 at night. And so it's it's very nice <laughs> to have a newsletter wrap up uh, for days that, you know, I, I probably should get out and see the sun, get some fresh air, <laughs> leave Sohi and his crew <laughs> to, to do their work. It's interesting. Have you, Chelsea, have you started to hear from people, you know, Ryan and I are big urban planning fans, uh, but have you started to hear from like community members if that was a gap that they felt like was missing? Yeah, typically after every issue, um, we get a couple of folks emailing back to say, thank you so much. Like this was really useful or sometimes thank you so much. It's so different here than it is in whatever city, you know, that that person happens to be in. Um, So the feedback that we've received has been really, really positive. It's really cool because I know Regina right now is going through similar conversations that we had five, six years ago as a city trying to bring in uh, renewal and infill into their communities to make more sustainable neighborhoods. And so I'm sure even people from that community watching in, getting the wrap up, not being the Mariah of their neighborhoods, listening to public hearing all night. (laughs) For me, watching council is just like so much fun. You two watch council all the time. What are things that you're seeing that they care about? So I think this this council is is quite different than previous councils that we've seen here in Edmonton. They they you know if I if I was to boil it down, I think they really care. I think they really care about equity and fairness, and I think they really care about holistic long term solutions. And what I notice about the questions that they ask 
to administration is, you know, how it kind of all boils down to, is this the right way to do it? Could we do it better? It was done this way before, but could we do it? Is there a better way to do it now? And then they're not afraid to have those conversations and in some cases to revisit conversations that have been had in the past to say, well, is this, is this really the best solution? And I, I, I appreciate the long-term and strategic lens that they take to problem solving. And I think that they ask really good questions, not easy questions often, uh, but good questions. And I see a lot of dedicated focus and alignment with city plan. You know, city plan comes up a lot. Many of the councillors campaigned on city plan. It's obviously something that they care about and the values um, in that in that document, they're, they're really intent on implementing them. So I think that's great news for infill and for urban redevelopment. I think there's a window of opportunity that folks have right now with this council to, to do more infill and urban redevelopment or to get into infill and urban redevelopment, you know, if, if that hasn't been your wheelhouse yet, now's a good time. Council, you know, is on a cycle. We don't know what the next cycle will be, but these folks that we have right now, I think it's really clear uh, in their decision-making that they're showing a lot of fortitude in making decisions that are difficult, that aren't necessarily popular with their ward, in their ward, with their constituents to support infill and urban redevelopment. And that includes not just the small scale, you know, um, row house rezonings, but also four and six story buildings. We're seeing so many applications coming forward for those now in a way that we haven't before. I mean, right before this council was elected late last um, August and September of 2021, our previous council started sending back a whole bunch of medium scale files. Um, And this council has been just tackling them and tackling them with gusto and really supporting them. And I think that's, that bodes really well for infill and urban redevelopment for this, you know, this council period that there's an opportunity. Yeah, I think what's been really interesting is that a lot of them are looking at it as like a citywide issue instead of um, their, their area of the city and questioning things like, oh, is our densities uh, high enough in this neighborhood? What is our current density now? How do we measure the results? How do we get to where we're trying to go? Um, and so, yeah, maybe there it could be a little stressful looking at one specific site, but it seems like more and more they're taking that step back and say, how does this site fit into the whole pie? How does it fit into the picture uh, and, and achieving our long-term goals? Ryan, you've had a bunch of projects go in front of council. Uh, you've watched a ton of council meetings. I know you and I, <laughs> I send messages back and forth all the time. What's your take on it? Yeah, I, I would kind of echo Chelsea's thing about the city plan support. It seems kind of overwhelmingly, we've had a lot of files not even get debated. You know, city plan conformance, admin support, we're not even, like maybe a question gets asked. And yes, I agree with you, Chelsea. It's often, is there a better way to do this? Or was this thought of, Um, that kind of thing. But we're not getting questioned quite as much as we previously did. I will say, you know, and this is just from the land use perspective, like city plan, they seem to be supporting kind of everything. It's still difficult to kind of go into a council meeting and anticipate the types of questions or the types of things that might come up. Something might get pulled for, for a reason that you didn't anticipate. I found with the previous council, and maybe that was just because they were at the end of their term and a lot of them were two terms. So it was easy to kind of predict Oh, this person 
typically asks these types of questions, or if it's in this person's ward, we should structure ourselves like this. With this council, it's, it's impossible. And we're still kind of young. Uh, we have a lot of novices on council as well, but that are kind of learning on the job for sure. But it's hard to predict what kind of debates are going to come out of it. And I like that. There's a lot of is individualism the right word? But the individual individual agendas are starting to come out a little bit more, more so than kind of an overall collective vision. They seem to kind of have their own thoughts, which I really like that they're bringing out in council debates and in meetings. It shows a little bit of personality. So I, I overall am fairly supportive of it. I know there's a lot more to it than simply the uh, discussion about land use though. And I think we, do we want to talk about budget at some point today? Like we'll, we'll, we'll kind of see what the true colors are going to be when we start uh, getting into budget debates for the next cycle, for sure. One other observation that I would make with regard to this council is that they really seem to be supporting standard zones. That's something that we at Situate, we've been bringing forward standard zoning applications for many years. Um, and it, it's been getting easier and easier with the culture shift away from using direct control zones for everything. And we created, we made some changes to our standard zones to make them work. And now, now we actually have them as useful tools. So we're seeing a lot of support for that and seeing a lot more questions asked around direct control zones. Also a lot more questions asked around uh, the developing neighborhood rezoning applications as well. So typically, you know, what we used to see is that all of the applications for the most part in the redeveloping area um, or greenfield neighborhoods, no questions would be answered or very few, very minimally, very rarely. They would all just kind of pass through at the beginning in, in the omnibus. Now we're seeing more of those get selected and more debates on those files. So that's that's an interesting development. And then further to Ryan's point, I totally agree, a lot less debate on the infill files. You know, we've seen even some, some intense, quite high density infill files be approved with no debate, including recently a CB3 application on 124th Street, which sort of, you know, knocked my socks off to see that happen. I think that's an amazing development for us as a city. So um, really, really pleased with that. Yeah. Do you think it's a trust of administration or just uh, city plan equals biblical and whatever aligns with it we're going to support? Or wh- why do you think that is, that there's less debate and more push towards infill or non-discussions of some items? I think city plan helps so much. I think city plan has been a game changer because it's created clarity about where we want intensification to be. So with that clarity, it the decisions sort of fall into alignment. Whereas before, without that clarity, we had to really debate. You had to really um, put a lot more effort. Everyone, I think, had to put a lot more effort into considering is this appropriate here in this location. And now we've had that discussion already. We know where it's appropriate. And so city plan, I think, did something really well, which was to articulate where where we want to see intensification. And I know you've talked about that on other podcast episodes as well, is one great thing about city plan is nodes and corridors. Having that clarity is something that I think can't be underestimated. It's, it's made a huge difference. Yeah. Um, not all zones are getting supported unanimously though, right? Not all standard zones. Um, I don't want to be triggering here or anything, but uh, yeah, you had one come up at council that was trying to use a standard zone in a situation that didn't end up going forward. Do you want to talk about that? Sure. Um, so there's a couple of zones that I, I think we have on the books here in Edmonton with our zoning bylaw 12800. 
our trusty tome that um, a couple of zones that exist that have never really been used. So one of those is the CB3 zone, the commercial mixed business zone. Um, it allows for a lot more intensity that we see in our other commercial commercial zones. And it's also the zone that I say is our only true mixed use zone that has a kind of unlimited residential and commercial uses as permitted as permitted uses. Uh, so I think I think it's a great tool, and it's one of the ones that it has existed for a long time in the zoning bylaw, but has never really been used. Now, with city plan, and then particularly in um, major nodes and primary corridors, we're calling for intensification, mixed use intensification. And CB3 is just the tool, like it's a perfect tool for that. So we had this tool already, we had nowhere, no clear place to put it or to use it. And now with city plan, all of a sudden we have, we have that clarity, we have the direction. And so then we're picking up the tool and be like, okay, you're great. Like I'm going to dust you off and, and, and use this tool. So we've had success using the CB3 zone in Garneau for an application on White Avenue. There's the other one that I mentioned recently on 124 Avenue, also using the CB3 zone. Uh, so that's, that's an exciting thing to see. The other zone that I would put into the same category is the Urban Character Row Housing Zone. So this is also a zone that's been in the zoning bylaw for about 10 or 12 years. It was created, but never really applied applied in very few instances, at least in the mature neighborhoods. There's only sort of a small handful of examples. And it's never been used um, on just one lot. So for corner lot rezonings, historically, we've always gone to the uh, RF3 zone. The urban character row housing zone is a little bit different in that if the mature neighborhood overlay doesn't apply. That means you can get a little bit more height uh, within that zone. You're not limited to the height restriction under the mature neighborhood overlay of 8.9 meters. And the other thing that's really unique about it in terms of its regulations is the rear setback. So the rear setback in the mature neighborhood overlay is really, really tricky because we want to be able to build row housing on these corner lots, but then we have a rear setback that oftentimes sort of eats into or cuts off the fourth unit of the row house. So the lot is big enough theoretically for four units of row housing, but you can't fit the fourth unit on because the rear setback like cuts it off basically. So that's tricky when you want to go and rezone to the RF3 zone to build four units of row housing. It's particularly tricky if your lot is shallow in depth. A lot of our regulations, most of our regulations in the zoning bylaw are written for like a particular size of perfectly rectangular lot, right? 50 by 150 feet is, is, is what the regulations are written for. So if you have a lot that's 130 feet long, uh, then that, that rear setback really cuts off your fourth unit. I'm getting really technical here. But the great thing about the UCRH zone is that because it has a 30% rear setback rather than a 40%, you can still fit the fourth unit and you're not going to get refused by the development authority and you won't end up at SDAB, the Subdivision and Development Appeal Board. We've had instances of being sent to SDAB for you know, a variance of one or two meters on the rear setback. In you know, the instance where we had, where we applied for the UCRH zone, we would have been looking at over five meters uh, of a variance. And so we just thought that's a lot, like that's a lot of risk to take on 
And the difference between three units and four units on a small lot is, is huge. It's immense. I mean, that's the feasibility of the project right there and really contributes to whether that project is going to be affordable at the end of the day or not, or whether it even gets built or not. So this is a really, really crucial consideration. The other thing I'm going to say more about the UCRH zone, clearly I've thought about this a lot, is that the purpose of it is to act as a transition between higher higher density areas and then lower density areas. So uh, the lot where we apply to use this zone is two lots removed from 107 Avenue, which is a secondary corridor as defined by city plan. So it's sort of in this perfect transition area where right on the corridor, what we expect to see and what the policy calls for is low to medium scale development. So let's say four to six stories-ish. And then right back from that, we would have this UCRH zone, which would be three to 3.5 stories, perfect transition into the interior of the neighborhood. So those are the reasons why we decided to see if UCRH as a tool would be supported by council. You made it sound like the best zone in the city. Council didn't agree with you. So what council did is they said, okay, you want four units. The community came forward and they said, we don't like the height in this zone. We think it's too much, um, but we have no problem with four units. So what the community said that they were willing to do on record of the public hearing is support the future variance that would be required. So with that information, uh, the counselor for the ward thought that the balance that would be most appropriate on this site in this instance would be to refer the file back to come forward again as RF3 and then basically trusting that the community will support the variance that will be required to get that fourth unit. So this is at play. That file is going to be coming back to public hearing August 16th. So we're hopeful that the community's stated support for the variance um, will be articulated at that time. So I think what we're really getting at is we're going to see how many in-development listeners are going to tune into August 16th's public hearing. If we see a spike in public hearing watches, so we know we have a good listener base. Yeah, and sign up, sign up for Zone In and then shoot an email off to council, right? That's, that's one of the reasons why we created that um, that newsletter was to make it easier to chime in. So we've, we've talked a bit about city plan creating clarity for community, council, industry, uh, but there's a few projects going on that are at play right now within the city of Edmonton. District planning, uh, zoning bylaw renewal, growth management framework, energy transition. Uh, there's a bunch happening right now. And I kind of wanted to get into the conversation with the two of you around why are these projects are so important to Edmontonians, uh, to people in Edmonton that are looking to build, uh, that are looking to help solve the, the housing crisis that we're in right now, the, the climate crisis that we're in right now. So let's kick it off with the hottest project, I think, uh, zoning bylaw renewal. I, I know we talk about it a lot at IDEA, but why is that zoning bylaw renewal so important? Well, I mean, it's important for a bunch of reasons. It, the number one reason, I think, is um, goes back to what Chelsea was talking about. We need a little bit of clarity on which zones we're using in which circumstances. So city plan uh, kind of assigns different areas of the city for intensification, and then the zoning bylaw is just kind of implementing that. So uh, 
taking, you know, I think your discussion about the CB3 zone was awesome. It is probably the only true uh, mixed use zone because it allows, you know, commercial and residential on the main floor. No other commercial zone, no other residential zone allows this. So it's true mixed use. Um, but create we have an opportunity now through zoning bylaw renewal to actually create new zones that, that might do that just as a, at a basic level. So I'm not, I actually like our zoning bylaw. that might be kind of a, a really terrible take, but there's elements of it that I really like that I want to see carried into it. Uh, there's also elements that I want to see removed. So this is our opportunity to do that, get engaged with the public and get engaged with industry, see what's working, see what's not working and kind of come up with a new path forward that meets city plan and also balances what everybody wants. So that's, that's number one. Number two is um, for better, or for worse, that zoning bylaw is a thousand pages and simplifying it could be very helpful. I don't think we need to regulate every single detail of everything. So I'm hoping that we get a little bit, you know, fewer zones, fewer regulation and more maybe discretion or maybe more ability to um, a little bit more interpretation built into there. So those are the two things that I'm excited for and why I think it's important. Um, Chelsea, what do you think? I think a lot of time and attention right now is spent on small things. So, you know, a lot of the files going before council still are RF1 to RF3 rezoning to allow for row housing. And I think what I'm excited about with, with zoning bylaw renewal is the intention is that, you know, we would just cre- create a zone, create a small scale zone where those sorts of rezonings are eliminated. We don't need them anymore. They're just allowed by right th- throughout all of our mature neighborhoods. And I think that's that's an important step. We've been moving in that direction for, for a long time. And with the new zone uh, that we're anticipating will be coming forward with zoning bylaw renewal, that those rezonings will sort of um, become a thing of the past. And then you know, we'll be able to focus our time and attention on, on the next phase of infill and urban redevelopment, which I think which I think remains medium scale. So how do we make sure that we're getting more and more of that and that it's livable, that it's attainable, that it's attractive? I think that's the next frontier and we're, we're seeing a lot of activity, a lot, a lot of interest in that already. And I think that will only accelerate. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I think it's a real opportunity that we have as a city to help tackle some of the big problems that we're having nationwide around climate and around housing affordability and housing supply uh, and creating these 15 minute districts that we talk a lot about as a city. We're looking to create vibrant places that you can work, live and play in that you don't need to go outside of those districts to meet your needs. You can, nobody's saying you have to stay in your district, (laughs) but um, I think if, if we don't get that, the zoning bylaw right as a tool, we may not be setting ourselves up for success in the future. I don't think there's anything wrong with staying in your district if you have everything you need. Uh, Mariah, you and I talk about this a lot as uh, you are a current, I was a former downtown dweller. I mean, how often are you leaving downtown other than to visit people? If my parents lived downtown, I would almost, well, actually, you know what? Uh, My partner plays ball hockey and there is no ball hockey arena downtown. So So you don't have everything you need yet, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with, and I think that's what the idea is, is creating these districts that you don't need to leave at all times or often that'll reduce, that'll go towards what you're talking about. I mean, reducing our carbon footprints if you don't have to drive or get out of your neighborhood um, that often using something that burns fossil fuels. I think that's 
really helpful. So I'm not sure where you live, Chelsea. I know you were a former downtown dweller and, and you had that opinion, but uh, yeah, what's your opinion on the 15 minute district? I live in the center city. So I lived in downtown, downtown for many years. Now I live in Oliver, live across the street from a grocery store and it is the most amazing thing. It's great. My favorite thing about living next to a grocery store is it's great for nacho night. I am always missing sour cream. I don't I don't understand where the sour cream goes. I don't use it for anything but nachos. But every time I go and have nachos, I don't have sour cream. And so if you're seeing me rush into the grocery store next to my place, it is 90% chance I'm picking up sour cream. <laughs> sour cream is so interesting because I find you always buy like the 500 mil one and then you use half of it for your nachos and then the other half stays in your fridge because you only use it for nachos and goes bad and then you're just recycling the next time you want nachos. Or are you smart and you only buy like the 275 mils? I unfortunately went through a lot of food waste and now I only buy the 275. <laughs> it was breaking my heart. It was just too much. So we've Pre-recording this, you, the three of us talked a bit about district planning. So uh, for those of you who don't know what district planning is, go back and listen to our episode with Sean Boley. We get really into it there. Before we move into growth management, which is the way that we financially create tools uh, to implement city plan, is there any hot takes that either of you have on district planning? I'd like to see more information before I make a hot take. I think it'll be a challenge to balance the ARPs and the ASPs and everything that have been kept over and will continue to be in effect with new district planning, but we'll see what some of the first drafts come out looking like. Yeah, I mean, I've only taken a very quick glance at the draft general policy. Um, it seems high level to me, so I'm not sure if if there's a way to drill down into a little bit more detail. I would love some clarity around some of the policy, maybe a little bit more plain language to know exactly what some of the intentions are. So I'll leave it at that. I'd like I'd like to see more. I think it's inherently a difficult document to to do that because you have the city plan, which is very high level and citywide, and then you have the zoning bylaw, which is site specific. What is in between? Do we need something in between? And that's that's where I, I'm, I I agree with you. I think a lot of the policy may be a little bit too high level. And then does that become redundant with city plan? Or if you're going into very high detail, is that going to be redundant with zoning bylaw? So it's such a careful balancing act. Um, yeah. Mariah, what do you think? I'd like to see the district plans and the general district policy provide, yeah, this mid-level clarity, but also provide clarity around things that it's focused on. So I want to see it talk a bit about land use, uh, talk a bit about the environment and how we're going to achieve environmental goals, talk about goals around transportation, but also not give direction on things that are out of control of people who own single parcels of land throughout Edmonton. Uh, I think sometimes we get into the weeds when you don't have control in that area. And we need to be very mindful of if somebody told me I have to be in charge of picking up everyone's wasting Edmonton. So it's not my day job. <laughs> Someone else is much better equipped for that. And so we need to uh, create policy that's helpful for people who are rebuilding our city or in our, and are living in our city. The Growth management framework is the financial mechanisms to implementing city plan. I'm hoping in this upcoming budget, this new council is taking their first first whack at the budget. 
that we see infill prioritized in the budget. There's a few glaring things. I know IDEA has talked a lot about infrastructure, but is there other things regarding infrastructure that Chelsea, you think we need to talk about before we go into the budget? Well, I think infrastructure is the thing. I think it remains the thing. Um, The problems, we have short-term solutions for some of them. Um, We still need some long-term solutions, and I'm talking specifically about um, EPCOR water on the water side, so water mains and hydrants. Uh, We have some some short-term solutions there, but we're still looking for a long-term holistic solution on how how do we finance those things, how do we fund them, how do we create certainty around that. So there's still a lot of uncertainty around what's required, uh, finding out what's required early enough in the process to be able to inform, you know, your decision making. That's still, we're not quite there yet. And I think we can get there. I just, you know, we still need some dedicated time and attention and resourcing on that problem. Uh, And then additionally, like as we continue to move toward medium scale development within priority areas, we also have power considerations um, that we have to deal with as well. So upgrades for power, uh, as well as some drainage problems too. So how how are we going to deal with all these things? We have infrastructure that was built a long time ago, and now we're in a new phase of city building. And so this is is something that I think will remain a priority. And uh, we're hopeful, I'm certainly hopeful that it will be a priority for, for council and their budgeting process this time around as well. Yeah, I'm very grateful that this council looks at things as a citywide lens and how everything interacts with each other. Because for so long, the way we've paid for infrastructure is the first one in pays for it and nobody else has to pay into it. Uh, And when you're building eight units or 12 units or even 40 units and you're hit with a million dollar infrastructure uh, (laughs) bill, it's not feasible. And that's how those projects end up in the wish list (laughs) of things that you wish you got to build, where if we can build out some sort of system or some sort of mechanism that we're all rebuilding our city together, I think we'll be more successful. Plus there's things around a heritage strategy and uh, tree protection that I I would love to see in this upcoming budget because uh, we're, we're working towards 2 million trees. So let's figure out how we're going to do that together. So we have spent a lot of time this morning uh, monopolizing your morning, Chelsea. <laughs> uh, is there anything else that you want to talk about before we head off into the summer? Well, thanks again for having me on. I really appreciate it. Um, I'll give my call to action today, which is to go sign up for that newsletter that we've been talking so much about. So you can do that on our webpage, situateinc.ca. There's lots of opportunities to scroll down to the footer and sign up and then stay tuned. Next public hearing is on August 16th. So we'll be sending out uh, a newsletter in advance of that and let you know what's going down. Well, thanks so much for spending your morning with us, Chelsea. And I will see you later, Ryan. See you later. Ah, well, that was awesome. I know we're, we're not going to do these more conversational breakdowns very often. Uh, and if you liked it and you're listening, uh, give us a shout out if you did. But I love talking to you, Chelsea. I love geeking out about planning stuff with the two of you. Yeah, should we have her on in 10 more episodes? Should we just have her like the recurring every 10 episode guest? <laughs> we probably will. Like <laughs> next in 10 episodes, it'll be around the time of the budget. So. Oh. The schedule writes itself, basically. Yeah. I mean, she is a very interesting person that does a lot. I love that she said, um, based on our 
last conversation that we had that was more interview style. She took that away and listened to her own call of action and came back with zone in, which I cannot gush about even more. I am not like you. I don't listen to the council recordings. I don't watch them live. Uh, I don't listen to them afterwards unless there's something relevant that I find out about and then go back and listen to them. Because now, and now I have zone in, I don't even need to. She gives like an upcoming report and a summary of what happened at the previous one. Like it's, it's too good. It's too good. It's only a matter of time before she's a full-time journalist. Yeah. I really appreciate that. They talk about like what was discussed too. It wasn't just like this one was passed. This one wasn't passed. This one was passed. This one was referred. No, it's like they talked about the green space in this one or dwelling units or whatever. Like it still lets us exactly. It still lets us go back and like, you know, check on something that might've piqued our interest. It's a really, really good way to tell the news in my opinion. And I hope I conveyed that to her. So yeah, keep going, Chelsea. Yeah. So speaking about keeping in the know, last night I was in a district planning engagement session. Oh my God. Tell me everything. So it was the hottest day of the summer. So I was expecting to go online and it was in the evening. It started at like 7 p.m. I was like, okay, it'll be me and like three other people. There's no way that they're going to get a good turnout for this. And they had at least like 30 other community members in there, which was great. It was so awesome. I love to see that passion. I drove by Kind Ice Cream yesterday at around 7 p.m. And there was a lineup around the block. So, and I'm assuming everywhere that serves cold uh, ice cream or beverages was probably the exact same way. So I love that there's 30 people that were passionate about it on a Wednesday night when it's finally hot and nice. Yeah, there was definitely a girl who is eating a popsicle during it, and I was very jealous. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, no, it was good. We were in different breakout rooms. My breakout room talked a lot about making commercial spaces uh, an option and more places to help build out 15-minute districts. One of the things that I'd really like to see is around green spaces. We add more opportunities Uh, for commercial spaces. That's where patios can spill out onto and kind of create a cool community vibe. And one other person in my breakout room, he talked a lot about having small businesses be supported, which was great because I know I like personally, I'm a big advocate for small businesses. And I'm like, this is awesome that other people are as passionate about reducing the barrier to entry. Because Renting out a space can be really difficult for small businesses. And he was like, let's do it in the garage. Let's do it in the living room. Like, <laughs> Did you hear about that place? I, oh man, I'm going to butcher it now. But it was I think it's in Bonnie Dune and someone's running like some sort of a kitchen or a bakery or something out of their garage. Were you the one that told me about that? No, but I need to go to that. Yeah, we're gonna have to fact check the fact check here. But I, I heard about it. And I thought it was you that told me. But anyways, we'll we'll circle back to that. I think it's starting to happen. And it was probably a big challenge. Um, I want to ask you a lot more questions about your engagement event there. Because usually you get 30 people that show up to something, they are all angry about something. Did you feel like it was 30 people pushing individual agendas? Or was it fairly productive? I thought it was pretty productive. Uh, It was great. So what they had us do at the beginning was say who we are, who we represent, uh, and what we loved about our neighborhood. And everyone talked about uh, walkable spaces or wanting walkable spaces or transit. It was like this really beautiful, vibrant kind of like push to have more vibrant spaces, uh, which... I'm a frequent flyer at engagement events, obviously. Five years ago when we were doing engagement for the Infill Roadmap, 
I found that there was a lot more concern around like what was coming into neighborhoods or how things were changing, where this was very much like, how do we promote more sustainable cities? How do we promote vibrancy and walkability? How do we increase density from outside of idea, which was... (laughs) I was like, hey, check out my website. It's great. That's incredible. It sounds like you stepped through the wardrobe into Narnia because, yeah, that's not my experience at engagement events often as well. So well done, City of Edmonton. Um, They're putting on a few more. Obviously, this wasn't the first. This wasn't the only one. No, this was one of the last ones for this session, but there's at least two more coming up. And there was actually, I did want to give a, a shout out to this one community member, Jasmine. She talked about the need for more medical spaces in Edmonton. Uh, and mobile medical spaces too. So like mobile dialogue lives and things like that and allowing that type of uses. And it was just like a totally different perspective that I hadn't thought about. And she was concerned about aging in place and making sure people had the resources and the services they need. That's incredible. I'm very curious to see where this comes. What are the outcomes of these engagement events? Did they tell you? Yeah, so right now uh, they're in the create phase and then they'll be moving into the refine phase. And both growth management and zoning bylaw, which hasn't kicked off their engagement, uh, they are poised to be done by next fall to be in front of council and then implementation by January-ish 2024. So a short and long amount of time. (laughs) Yeah. Should we talk about what implementation means? Like, is that, you know, the bylaws in place and the entire city is rezoned to the new districts and uh, we hit the ground running at that point? Or what what does that mean, implementation? You know what? I'm going to have to fact check it. I believe they're going to be starting rezoning, but I don't think they'll have the whole city rezoned by the time Jan 24 comes around. Okay. Yeah, that's, that's, that's interesting. And I think that yeah, I have a lot of questions actually about like this weird interim space that we're in. Because originally the zoning bylaw renewal project was supposed to be done, was it this year or 2023? Yeah, Jan 2023. Jan 2023. So we were five months away from where it was originally supposed to be done. Obviously, that's been booted down the road. Um, they need a little bit more time. But what is happening in this interim is kind of an interesting thing for me. And even, you know, you're saying implementation is 2024, but that doesn't mean that all the new zones are already, are are we still going to see like some people come in for an RF1 to insert new zone there? Like, is that going to be a weird transition? I don't know. We've, and I bring this up because I've had kind of both sides of the ledger with some clients. Like uh, I know one in particular is just going to hold on to their piece of land waiting to see what happens because uh, they find some of the current rules a little bit too restrictive. So they're, I hope, going to the engagement events and letting their position be known, Um, but they're waiting. So they're going to wait to see what happens and see if they have any advantages by doing that. And I also have um, a couple other that are rushing. So fear of the unknown is a a fairly real thing. So um, they would rather you know, the devil you know versus the devil you don't. So they're going ahead with projects that they might have taken some more time on. But uh, sounds like they have a little bit more time if we're rolling out implementation in 2024. Yeah, well, I think part of the reason they want to get to a council committee date in uh, the fall of 2023 is to allow at least six weeks of lead time for education and understanding the new zones. Uh, so you can kick off using them in the beginning of 2024. But... I believe they're purchasing some really wicked technology that will help them do the rezoning process. That will help people understand like what you can do with different parcels. My hope is that like 
there's maps that talk about the infrastructure that's currently existing there to give people an understanding of what they're buying or what they're living on. Uh, and then also a clear, like, this is what your zone is. This is what you can do with it. And like a breakdown in like plain language of the process of how to rezone too. We will see lots of runway to go. Lots of runway to go. <laughs> um, we, we kind of glossed over, uh, the budget topic a little bit. And you mentioned a couple things there that I wanted to ask you about, but, um, you mentioned the heritage strategy was kind of a hope for yours in the new budget. What did you mean by that? Yeah. So one thing that the city plan talks about is like preserve and protect, but it also talks about redeveloping neighborhoods and helping us as a city stick to our urban boundary and, uh, achieve 50% infill development. And so it's not that those two things are at odds, but we don't have a clear path forward on how do we both preserve and honor uh, what was existing and figure out who and where we honor uh, and also where we redevelop. So I'd like to see a dedicated heritage strategy to figure out whose heritage we're protecting, what resources we're giving to them, and how do we redevelop as a city while being thoughtful of uh, honoring our past. Has there been any um, discussions about what the strategy would look like? Like, I'm wondering if, if it's like a statutory document or it kind of leads to regulations in the zoning bylaw or what's kind of the what's kind of your hope or what have you heard? So the zoning bylaw is a pretty close project. So at this time, they're not taking on new elements to it. So it, it wouldn't be implemented there. Um, but what we talked about with city administration and council is that while we understand and, and hope that heritage is prioritized, we don't have the right solution of like how to do it. So it's whatever we come up with. Um, and I think there needs to be like a whole look at like what tools we have, uh, what tools are being utilized, what grants do we have, where's the money. So I think it's like a bigger discussion than just like land use, uh, but we'll see how it goes. So. I hope there's money for it. It sounds massive. Yeah, it's uh, a part of it is probably going to be incentivization, which we talked about a little bit. And that's where I would like to see if I was, you know, dreaming about things or maybe let's call it manifesting. If I was going to manifest things that I wanted to see in the budget um, incentives, there are um, a ton of them in the city already. I think a lot of them are uh, poorly advertised. I think about our conversation with Dave, where we talked about the Brownfield Redevelopment Grant. Um, it's still running. My good friend Liam at the city is the one that's running it. And he says they have tons of applications. Um, so maybe they don't need to advertise, but advertise, like just get more people knowledgeable about these things. Because as we know, the more pressure you get on these types of things, the more expansion in these programs will get. So for I'm going to go back to the Brownfield Redevelopment Grant. It's only for former gas stations and former refueling stations. It would be amazing if it was more than just that. There's lots of other former polluter sites that were that are out there. But um, other incentives, I know we have, like in the zoning bylaw, we can talk about density bonuses. And you don't really, you get some height bonuses in some zones. I think the CB3, shout out to Chelsea and the CB3. I think they have a, a density or a, a height bonus in there too, if some parameters are met, but I don't think they're being utilized that well. So taking a hard look at incentives that may or may not work uh, without some sort of financial backing, and then maybe add some financial incentives, like the cost share programs that uh, you help put together and, and get those expanded a little bit. Well, that's the interesting thing about the infrastructure discussion, because some of it definitely needs to be financial incentives, uh, whether it's done through tax-based grants or capital funding. But some of it also has to do with like updating guidelines 
uh, and updating standards that were built for a totally different type of development, but are being applied everywhere. It's like trying to make one size fits all. And if I've ever tried on a one size fits all skirt, it never fits. <laughs> like updating the standards in the process will be helpful. And that's not a financial mechanism to help with infrastructure. 100% there needs to be money dedicated or a funding mechanism dedicated to infrastructure and redevelopment. Uh, and not only just like pipes and power poles, which are desperately needed to find a way to, to fund, but also things like public art and green spaces, spaces that make communities and bring people together. I think there's an opportunity to do a bigger infrastructure strategy and have someone steward that project. I agree. Yeah, let's manifest that into the budget too. Um, the one thing you and I joked about that related to infrastructure that the city is now doing is alley renewal, which I find fascinating, but that needs to be expanded as well. You know, I'm going to have a post on my website about this, so I don't want to go into too much detail, but we're adding so much density to these lanes that were not designed to handle it, and they're in tough shape. And now this is the only place we're allowed to have our vehicle access and that type of thing. And there's power poles and service vehicles and construction activities in the back. Like they're so crowded and they're so dilapidated in a lot of these mature neighborhoods. So I'm happy to see the alley renewal project kind of kick off, but I, I, I am manifesting that I want that to expand as well. Well, and it's not, I don't believe it's part of neighborhood renewals, the alleys. It is completely separate. Yes, it is completely yeah. separate. And so are the arterial roads outside of a community, which like those also need uh, some love and attention. They do. Yeah. I. It's not hot to talk about roads on this podcast, but yeah, <laughs> I had to throw it in. Well, you know what? Buses use roads and bikes use roads if we create spaces for that. And we can always shut roads down for people too. So <laughs> like they do in Mexico City. One other thing I really want to see in the upcoming budget is resources dedicated towards tree protection and also the expansion of like what types of trees Edmontonians can plant. Uh, I know I've talked about it before, but in Montreal, the city allows you to take pride in your boulevard space and, and put beautiful berry trees and stuff like that, which can be tied back into like whose heritage and and what heritage are we honoring uh landscaping guidelines are very specific which do not allow a lot of different types of uh landscaping types which is just it's so odd to me but the last council had approved a budget for uh, tree protection that they would pay for the administration side and also like the permitting process and all that stuff and the industry would pay for like the physical tree protection and I hope that continues on because uh, if we're able to share that going forward, I think we'll be much more successful in protecting our beautiful tree canopy. Yeah, that's a big push. And, and they're doing a good job of that. Um, I want to be fair. You are allowed to plant. There's, there is a, an extra permit that you can uh, go and get from the city. And I, I, I think it's called the permit to place, but I'm not 100% sure to plant stuff in, in your boulevards. If you plant a tree in that boulevard, that's not your tree anymore, though. So it's like anything you plant there, obviously, if one of the pipes in the ground needs to be replaced, they're ripping everything up and not replacing it because it's their property. So I think this goes back to our incentivization thing. Rather than having all this grass that we just have some kind of contractual obligation as homeowners to mow the boulevards for the city. Um, I would love to see some incentivization into not having a lot of grass. I know Councillor Michael Jantz just posted something on his Facebook 
couple days ago, maybe about um, how awesome clover is as a ground cover instead of grass. There's lots of other ground covers out there that you can use that should be promoted. So I'm happy to see that finally some counselors are actually doing that. But yeah, just wanted to be fair. You can plant stuff in your boulevards. Just, you know, it's not yours after you plant it, even though you paid for it. Yeah. Clover's yards are great because you don't have to mow them as often too, which is fabulous. These are other things. I mow mine once a year. It's incredible. Bees love it. Mow once a year. And bees are great. We need them for our habitat. (laughs) I have a lot of hopes and dreams for our budget, but I believe in this council. I think they'll figure out a way forward. Absolutely. And then Chelsea, you and I in 10 episodes can start talking about how wonderful all the decisions they made were. Yes. Yes. Um, We talked so much about Mexico, but I I mean, how was your trip? Anything, any kind of final thoughts about it that you wanted wanted to touch on here? Okay. So I know I didn't gush about it in the episode, but oh my gosh, their market culture is awesome. You could get anything at a market. And there's like, I would say there's at least 100 markets around the city. And one of the markets we went to was five football fields big. And it had everything from like baskets to meat to fruit to kids running around to clothes, everything. It was crazy. I bought uh, a meat flattener smasher tenderizer thing there. I know. It was a very odd purchase. (laughs) Uh, We also had amazing tacos there and this like, yummy strawberry dessert thing that was so phenomenal um yeah i like i don't know how like they their market culture started but i'd love to see more and more of that pop up here especially because we have such cool and diverse neighborhoods like i'd love to go one for to one that's like filipino themed and east indian themed and south indian and thai like that would be awesome I 100% agree. I have one question. Did you get uh, did you get your meat tenderizer taken away on, on the plane on the way home? Did they think it was a weapon? or? No. So I, I was nervous. I flew Air Canada and I had an hour and a half layover in Toronto Airport. Uh, so I put it in my check bag. And when I got to the airport, of course, this meat tenderizer thing is a thousand pounds. And they were like, you have to pay an overage fee or I have to take things into your bag. And I knew that that was the culprit. And so I was like, if I put that in my backpack, someone's going to take it away at security. So I paid the overage fee and it killed me. It was brutal, but at least I got it home. Yeah, no kidding. That's yeah, that's that's a scary thing to bring home. Also, I mean, the market thing is awesome. Are you familiar with West Edmonton Mall? Because I think that's what you described five football football fields of, uh, you know, condensed vendors where you can buy all sorts of different things. We have one. Also, the the markets here, the farmers markets are actually getting really good. And I should I make it sound like they weren't good, but they were the downtown market had like a vintage clothing thing going on uh, a couple weekends. I've never seen the market that full so crazy so we bought a lot of baby clothes that was awesome i heard the strathcona market is trying to expand or become an everyday market as well so um and then bountiful market there's a guy there that makes the world's best pretzels so yes the markets here are already fantastic but i would love to see them kind of concentrated everywhere or in a massive facility like west end you've definitely talked about these pretzels before not on air on the podcast no i don't think so i just think it was just you and me okay thank goodness and I remember uh, you were brought one once when we were hanging out and I want one so bad. 
I think about it a lot. If I anyone has, if anyone doesn't know, Bountiful Market, you walk in the front door, in the first vendor on your right, that guy makes the meanest pretzels that I've ever had. Oh, they're, they're great. Yeah. And I think Mariah's talking about, uh, yeah, she's, you're accurate. My wife brought me one once when you and I were talking and uh, I squealed. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I wanted to give a shout out to Adam who sent me the nicest email. So uh, the reason why we didn't have a podcast episode two weeks ago was because my brother got married uh, and in East Indian culture, I was gone for pretty much an entire week of work. Lots of beautiful clothes and great food and partying. Uh, and during that week, one of our listeners, Adam, emailed in and said how much he loved the podcast. And it just like made my day. Uh, and I shared that with Ryan. So yeah, shout out to Adam. Yeah, Adam, thanks for listening. And if you are listening this time, please send us another email and, and tell us how to pronounce your last name because Mariah and I didn't even want to take a stab at it. Yeah, we would have butchered it. I'm so sorry. It's a beautiful last name, but I'd like to say it right if I'm going to say it on air. <laughs> well, have a great day, Ryan. Thanks for hanging out. I'm maybe going to go get a pretzel. I think that's a good idea and possibly some ice cream. See you later. Thank you.